Hi, Allie. Hey, Kirsten. Hey, Thanksters. Hey, Thanksters. Welcome back to another episode of Thank, Thank You, you so, so Much. <laughs> this is a fun one today. Yeah. We are uh, doing our first interview. So, we, we, you know, we're starting to do some interviews. And this one is something that neither of us know anything about. And so we wanted to know. And we're also at the age where everybody is having children. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, we're in our early 30s. And a lot of people have had kids by now or thinking about it. And, you know, the biological clock be ticking and we're just curious we're just curious i i do you want kids mm, yeah i think so but i also the older i get the more i think about the biological clock and is it gonna work for me and uh financially i can't right now mm -hmm. so i don't know i mean i want kids i guess i always imagined my life with kids but mm -hmm. i like right now i don't so but do you um i gotta say i don't i don't want kids i'm not completely against it mm -hmm. i think if it was like an accident and <laughs> i was financially stable enough i might just have it um but i don't think i, I don't see myself like trying to have kids at mm. any point in my life but i might change my mind i mean i don't want to say i i'm never having them but i've never imagined that for myself why not i think it started with just being scared of pregnancy and birthing in general yeah like i i think the idea of being a mom isn't super crazy to me but the idea of birthing something yeah. out of my, my body seems really crazy and terrifying i just don't know if i want to put myself through that mm -hmm. i think that's okay yeah because that is like a traumatic thing that happens i don't care what anyone says it is um, <laughs> and i just don't really want to choose that for myself i also like my freedom mm -hmm. i'm not financially stable at all even for myself yeah same. so how on earth would i be able to have a, a kid and like bring it into that environment um i also am worried about global warming and the world and it's like what's the point <laughs> yeah there's so many kids that need to be adopted too that it's yeah. like to bring somebody new it's a little bit selfish it is arguably. selfish but i get yeah. it i mean i understand why you'd want your own kid yeah but yeah. i also if i do anything like my ideal situation would be to either adopt like i'd have enough money and i wouldn't be hurting adopt or do a surrogate okay <laughs> Yeah. that would be my ideal situation <laughs> but, but that that requires money it requires money so yeah maybe one day <laughs> yeah i mean i think i always imagine my life with kids just because it's like a biological thing and you you think about the partner that you end up with and raising the child together and like what you would want to teach the children and things like that but i also like the closer to the age i get the more i'm like am I cut out for this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it is a big responsibility. Um, and you have to be, I think you have to be ready. And, and I'm scared that if I force having a kid when I'm not ready or I don't really want to, mm -hmm. I'm scared I'll resent 
that kid. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of deep, but <laughs> no, I, I mean, I get that. my kid for like, I, I listened to a podcast recently about that. It was like the mother I was like, I never wanted to be a mother and I'm just raising my daughter now and I love her, but I don't want to be a mom. I don't want this. I feel that. And I, every time, like my dog, like my, my dog had diarrhea the other (laughs) night for like four days straight and he had to go outside every two hours. Damn. So even when we're sleeping every two hours, he'd start And that's how it is with a fucking That's how it is with a kid, except for like a six week period or more. And I'm just thinking, I am so grumpy when I don't get my sleep. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I don't resent him for it. I I feel this, like, need of, I have to take care of yeah. him. Yeah. So, like, the instinct comes yeah, in. Yeah, I'm just like, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. It is what it is. Let's go. Let's go outside again. Yeah. Let me clean up your nasty poo-poo. poop. <laughs> yeah. Liquid poop. <laughs> yeah um i had to wipe his butt and that's just like a baby you know and i'm i just don't know if i'm cut out for it (laughs) that's how i feel too (laughs) but i don't know i think i it's funny i was talking to my mom just right before this she called me and my brother and his girlfriend are engaged now and she's talking about how she wants them to She's like, oh, I hope they have kids. And I've talked to them about it. I don't think they're going to have kids. And I was like, but I think I might, mom. And yeah, but it it is like weird saying that. And I still feel like I'm a 22-year-old in college. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I... I'm not an adult. Yeah. I can't raise another human. Yeah. So... I just don't feel like I'm ready for that right now. Will I ever be ready for it? I don't know. Who knows? You know, but you can have kids like in your 40s now. You can. A lot of people are doing that. Modern medicine has been able to do it. But anyway, we we wanted to know about pregnancy and childbirth and that process. And so what we did for this episode is we're going to do another two parter for you guys (laughs) uh, because about childbirth. (laughs) Yeah, we have childbirth and, and pregnancy. Next episode, we interview two people that we know that have had children as a more like anecdotal experience. But this episode is on a pregnancy expert. So we ended up having a nice conversation with my friend Christine. We went to high school together Mm -hmm. and we end up talking to her all about pregnancy, the placenta and just her experiences. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's do it. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. My name is Christine, and I am a doula, childbirth educator, student midwife based out of West Virginia. And I'm just really excited to hear what questions you guys have so I can (laughs) share some of this knowledge. I could talk for days. Christine is just a knowledge of well, she really could talk for days about this, and I love that. Um, she was always curious about childbirth, even in high school. Nice. Were you curious about childbirth in high I school? I know, but like, I think growing up, I used to play house a lot mm. and, and we used to watch like these breastfeeding videos. What? Yeah. This is a weird anecdote. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I wasn't, but I wasn't like, like super into it. It was more like, 
Yeah, I, I don't remember ever really thinking about childbirth in high school, but I think it was just more like, ew, <laughs> that's not for me right now. Gross. I don't want to get pregnant. Ripping like, of the vagina. <laughs> I didn't have, yeah. But Christine always wanted, like, she knew she always wanted to travel and, quote, catch babies. Which is, like, how they That's just what they, they say, that's like, what they say. Like Somebody who would be, like... Catching the baby you're as it comes out of the yeah. vajay, vajay. You're literally catching a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense, but it's, it was just funny. I love that way of, of phrasing it, though. Me too. It, it's it like so literal. Like, 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 I just want to catch babies. <laughs> yeah. It makes it seem like exciting, like you're receiving it. Yeah. That's cute. But, you know, she didn't know there were so many different career pathways when it comes to birthing and helping with that. So... But she didn't end up doing that. No, she didn't. She did not end up doing that after high school. And ultimately, I was not encouraged to do that by my family. I was encouraged to go to art school. So Mm. that's what I did. And I got my um, bachelor's in fine arts with a focus in non-toxic printmaking. And that was beautiful and wonderful. And I learned a lot about this really unique form of art that I now can't afford to do. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that was interesting because you never hear about parents that encourage you to go to art school. I would think that parents are like, no, you can't, like, don't go to art school. You need to be a doctor. You need to be, you know, a lawyer or whatever. So I actually think that's pretty cool of her parents to be like, no, you have to go to art school. Yeah. Yeah. And she got to learn a very specific skill. Like, I think if I could go back to school, I would go either for psychology or some sort of fine art because to be able to use just a studio for free all the time whenever you want is an amazing resource that really is that would be so dope yeah what what would you go to school for if you like start over and go back i don't even know there's like nothing i really want to (laughs) do but I think I'd have to do something with like science or I always wanted to be an archaeologist. <laughs> I'd do that, but I don't really know how lucrative that is. Yeah. I think it can be if you like discover things. If I didn't have to go to med school, I'd be a the people who do autopsies. Forensic forensic scientist. I don't know. I'd be a forensic scientist. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing really that I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're making a podcast. I want to be a podcaster when I grow up. I want to be a podcaster who just learns about other people's careers. We're hyper fixating here. <laughs> and that's what my job is. <laughs> my future job. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go into the next part of the interview. So after getting out of school and kind of decompressing, I return to birth work, um, like with my interests and stuff. And um, also I found myself pregnant uh, in the last semester of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all intentional. Like I was very ready to be a mom and all that. And that first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Uh, oh. And that completely rocked my world yeah. in a in like very hard way. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I ended up getting pregnant again a few months later. And it was still kind of a rocky beginning, but I had sought out midwives and was pursuing a home birth. And so I did, I had this incredible support system 
simply because I had chose home birth and had these midwives caring for me. Um, and it was actually the first time I'd ever been like fully supported by my care providers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was, it was really unique. Cause like I'd never experienced this with, you know, getting pap smears or any, I'd never been so fully cared for before. That was really unique. And coming out of the other side, you know, having a baby in my arms and feeling like so ready for parenthood was absolutely life-changing for me. And I was like, I want to do this for other people. Yeah. So I love how Christine did a home birth. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And it kind of makes me want to do home birth if I ever happen to have a kid. Mm-hmm. But you it know, seems way less stressful. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that, the first time I actually ever saw a home birth was on TV on <laughs> 90 Day Fiance. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. This girl, Paula, was um, having a baby and I think she had doulas there because these women were just rubbing her back, massaging her pelvis, like just being so soft and gentle with her. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's how you give birth. Like, yeah. That's and that's how, how it, should it be. was before we had these big hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. I think at home births, I mean, if you can afford it, I don't know how much this costs, but if you can afford a doula and a midwife to come, that's what I would do. Honestly, it might be cheaper than the hospital fees. No, you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. But, yeah. Yeah. So then she talks about how when her firstborn was nine months old, that's when she started the doula training and she was really inspired by it. And that's what started the whole thing. What happens if like, have you ever been at a birth where something goes wrong? What do you do? Yeah. Typically in birth, things don't just go wrong. Like we don't get to a red flag with no yellow flags ahead of time. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, as a doula, my, it is not my job to worry about whether things are going right or wrong. It's my job as a doula is just to support them through things as they come up and Mm -hmm. keep them informed and, you know, help them make decisions and all that. But, you know, from the care provider's perspective, a big indicator of how the labor is going is how the baby is coping with contractions. So we have mom on one side or the birthing person on one side who is, we're monitoring them, taking their vitals, you know, watching for dehydration or fever, those sorts of things. And then on the other side, we're listening to baby. We're listening to heart tones every 30 minutes to 15 minutes. Um, And that gives us a clue as to how the baby is coping with labor. Um, Because at the end of the day, there's two people involved in this process and both of them need to be okay. Mm. Um, And we'll we'll get signs from the baby that, hey, they're not coping very well. Like they're, we listen before, during and after contractions. So we get a full picture of what baby's going through, most demanding part of labor, which is during a contraction. And we'll listen to hear if baby's heart rate drops. And if it does drop, how low does it get? And then how quickly does it recover? Like it's normal when a baby's head gets squeezed, like during a contraction that you know, maybe you're at like nine or 10 centimeters, you might feel a little pushy. It's normal for baby to start experiencing some head compression and will that will be reflected in their heart tones. So mm-hmm. we'll see their heart rate drop slightly, but as the contraction lets up, their heart rate should come right back. A baby that's not coping well, it might take them a little longer for their heart rate to come back up. And so then we wanted to start, you know, that's just something we're going to notice and then start to see, are there other signs from baby that 
we're not coping well as things go on. Sometimes it's a positional issue with mom. Like we need to find a different position. Maybe babies like got their cord pinned somewhere funny, you know, Mm -hmm. there's lots of little things you can try. um, But ultimately if we're not getting great feedback from baby, um, then, then we shouldn't be having a baby at home when you go to the hospital. It's not necessarily an emergency. I prefer to transfer long before there's an emergency. So there's never an emergency. So yeah, Christine's talking about the at-home births and it got me thinking about underwater births and how people, I've just had these images in my brain of people with these like inflatable pools or like baths Mm -hmm. that they have like specifically for birthing that are like deep so you can like sit down in it Mm -hmm. so I didn't really know much about it just other than the image that I had in my head so I wanted to ask her some questions and you do and I do do you know anything about like underwater births (gasps) yes this is random (laughs) (laughs) um have you done any you know, we'll, we'll bring a tub or a pool and uh, set it up and get all that stuff going. I had both of my babies in the water. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was very cool. They were both very, very peaceful. Neither of my babies really cried very much. Um, the transition is just really smooth for them. Wow. Uh, but there's a ton of benefits for the birthing person, too. So when it comes to a water birth, you get the most benefit if you were in the water for at least 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if things are happening really, really quickly, and we don't know if you're going to get the full 30 minutes, we, we can get you in the tub, but it still may not, you may not get the full benefits. But most of the time, get the tub filled and get people in there. It helps with reducing the likelihood of tearing. If you're in the water for like 30 minutes or more, you are less likely to tear because that tissue is like hydrated and like supple and stretchy. Yeah. So, but it is a huge pain reducer. There's, there's other benefits, but um, those benefits kind of wear off after about two hours. Yeah. (laughs) It's like nothing really helps after that. (laughs) Is it warm water? Yeah. Yeah. We got to have it warm. Um, We like, I like to have right around a hundred, maybe. Yeah. Right around a hundred degrees. So like at this point, tub. I don't even use the thermometer anymore. I just like it's like bath water, basically, yeah. like a nice because we got to think like this little baby needs to be born into warm water. Yeah, <laughs> because then they'll struggle with breathing. and It's a whole mess. So babies do not do well when they're cold. So we definitely want to make sure that they're, they're stable. So do you have to like, is there an ideal time during the birth or do you like go in and out of the bath? Like, how does it work? Like when? Yeah, I. I like to get people out of the tub. I don't know that they like me to get them out of the tub. <laughs> but the truth is, like, your movement is pretty limited, even in the bigger birth pools. Like, sometimes the pool will slow your labor down. And if we're trying to have this baby, then we're going to have to get out of the tub. Fun fact about the, the pools, when you are not in active labor, if you get in the water, your contractions will go away. What? Usually. Yeah. So if you're not in active labor, so active labor is like six centimeters or more. If you're not in labor, then chances are a hot shower or a hot bath will quiet your contractions down. And I love using that as a tool to gauge whether or not, you know, we should come to your birth. (laughs) Like, are you really in labor or do we need to like get another good night's rest? Um, So I usually, we will, we'll hop in the shower and call me in an hour and let me know how things are going, you know? And sometimes Mm. they're like, oh yeah, they went away. Oh, that's Um, interesting. And then they get a good night's sleep. I'm like, excellent. Great. Really work hard at getting another, like your baby will be born. 
<laughs> go ahead yeah. and get a night's rest and we'll try again. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Right. As I love homework because we get to be really patient with people. We, you know, we're not sitting here like putting people on a clock, yeah. inducing people just because they're 39 weeks. We get to really like let the body do its thing. Mm-hmm. So it, ideally, you know, you get in the tub and your contractions will keep rolling along if you're in active labor. But I had a client recently and that didn't happen. Um, she was in active labor, like well above six centimeters in dilation and still her contractions were like petering out in the pool. Hmm. So she planned this whole water birth and ultimately like it wasn't really in the cards for her. What's the longest labor that you attended? Oh my God. I think it was just this one. (laughs) (laughs) four days four Um, days four days I was awake for four days and so was the person in labor we 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 got some sleep here and there I know I'm like I'm gonna take a nice long nap (laughs) tonight you know we really take try to take care of ourselves um you know we'll, we'll sleep in shifts after we get so far into a birth um, because there does need to be somebody monitoring the baby every 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, so we'll sleep in shifts. And as far as the person in labor, we will utilize different therapeutic rest options to help them get good sleep too. So for example, at home, that can be a glass of wine or a dose of Benadryl. And usually those one or the other will quiet down contractions enough mm-hmm. that the person can get some really good sleep. Like four hours, two hours of sleep is yeah. <laughs> about all your, your labor at home. But sometimes that is what you need to make it over the hump and have your baby. So apparently you can just have a glass of wine while you're in labor. Or some Benadryl. Or some Benadryl. You can get a little, a little twisty. You know what? I would have a glass of wine. Yeah. If I was in labor, I'd be like, you know what? This baby is nine months old at this point. They can have a glass of wine they can handle it (laughs) if i'm going through this the baby is gonna be fine yeah and i'll be fine if i'm fine the baby's fine as christine says i trust christine yeah if she tells me you need a glass of wine i'm not gonna argue take it i'm not gonna argue with her i'm not either i'm gonna be like all right if you say so if you say so christine all right red or white baby exactly I have a question about placentas. <laughs> Placenta. <laughs> placentas. Do you find, like, do people, I guess, like, do people do things with the placenta more than they don't in your experience? Like, have you ever had to save a placenta for someone or, like? Yeah, I have one in a dehydrator in my basement right now. Oh, <laughs> So you oh, so you yeah. dehydrate it and then yeah I encapsulate placentas for clients. Okay. Um, there's a lot of benefits and like most mammals consume their placentas. I think like there's only really like a handful of mammals that don't. And I don't know. I have this farm and I had, you know had sheep and cows and all that. And they all ate their placentas and I'm like, well, if I have a client who wants to do that. I'm not going to stop them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ob- yeah, obviously we're not just like raw eating our placentas. <laughs> but, <laughs> but do people, yeah. What are the different ways you can do that? So I know like the capsules and then what else do yes. people do? Hey, Allie. How you been? Not so great. I've been having some rough days. I'm not able to focus. I'm always tired and depressed. I also need to lose weight. Did you know that you're not thoroughly nourished unless you have a daily dose of placenta? 
Low iron? Placenta. No energy? Placenta. Falling and you can't get up? Placenta. But Kirsten, how can I get a placenta? Of all the placenta products on the market, I personally love drinking fresh-pressed organic Juicenta. Juicenta changed my life and it can change yours too. Each placenta is intricately selected and goes through a vigorous quality analysis before it is passed on to Juicenta Labs LLC. At Juicenta Labs LLC, the placenta goes under a combustion process to eliminate any lingering bacteria present. It's then run through a meat grinder to soften up the fleshy bits before undergoing centrifugal juicing. We're left with a smooth, inviting juice that invigorates all your taste buds and nerve receptors. It doesn't take like, taste like blood or flesh or metal at all. It's yummy, actually. But Kirsten, does drinking Juicenta make me a cannibal? No! The placenta is a temporary human product that will be discarded after the baby extraction process, so why not eat it? Here, I have some in my pocket. Try it now. Wow! Sleepy? Juicenta! Canker sores? Juicenta! Chronic pain? Juicenta! Pimples? Juicenta! Bad breakup? Juicenta! Get your Juicenta now. We have a, a promo code for 20% off. Just type in Juicenta. Thank you so much. Juicenta.com slash thank you so much to get your 20% off discount today. Ta-ta! take like a chunk of their placenta and put it in a raw just raw dog it right into a smoothie (laughs) an inch cube you know and just pop it in a smoothie and drink the smoothie and then they got it i there's there's some there's (laughs) gonna be some strong opinions about that in the medical community Uh um just about you know blood consuming blood products Uh, (laughs) Um, there's some things to pay attention to like is this person you know hep b positive do they have strep b like there's we want to know before we go doing that yeah um so we want to refer back to our prenatal blood panel but for the most part people are encapsulating them which is like a really safe way to consume them when i prepare like i can't speak for everybody but when i prepare a placenta for consumption it goes in my dehydrator which is a commercial grade stainless steel beast of a dehydrator that goes that is literally from making beef jerky so it's Treating it at a temperature that is safe for like meat products uh-huh. so we're killing pathogens as it's dehydrating it and then I get I buy a coffee grinder and it gets like put into the coffee grinder like I've sliced it thin yeah. put it in the dehydrator now it's coming out looks just like beef jerky um, <laughs> except it's instead of chewy it's super crispy huh. and because I slice it super thin because I don't want it it's I need it to be a powder chewy yeah. gonna be doing so um and then i put it in a coffee grinder and grind it up and put it and then i have like a little encapsulator thing. every time i get a placenta i like clean it up take pictures and document the whole thing for the family because you know in other cultures the placenta was considered like the baby's twin or like their mm-hmm. protector 
oh. um, because they're both born on the same day. Yeah. And and it's kept them fed and safe and nourished this whole time. So I love to just let people get a really good look at their placentas. I do placenta tours at the birth, <laughs> whether for home or the birth center or the hospital. I always take, you know, five minutes and I'm like, look, this is where your baby was. <laughs> look. Yes, my cousin look. my cousin was telling me how she when she gave birth, they asked if I wanted to see the placenta and I was like, No, get it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are scared of it. Some people are scared of it. That that definitely you'll definitely have I think I've had maybe like two people who are like, No, I do not want to see it. But most people, I mean, in my experience, are so curious. I want to see it. And they it. do we had I had a client who's whose baby was diagnosed with IUGR, which is interuterine growth restriction. And that's usually due to the placenta just not doing its job properly. Mm. So we were all really curious to see this placenta when it came out, you know, she yeah. had her baby back and everything and we got to take a big long look at it. And it turned out it was a very small placenta. Oh. <laughs> you know, it made sense her baby wasn't able to grow. Um there's also like quite a bit of calcification in it and Basically, it's like calcium buildup in the placenta, and it turns to like actual stones, little calcium stones. It feels like there's sand inside the placenta, wow. and it just blocks the performance of the of the placenta. It's not able to provide adequate blood supply, and so then baby's not growing properly, and you know, yada yada. Um, baby was fine, everyone's fine, but it was just really interesting to be like, oh my gosh, look, it really was the placenta. Yeah, this yeah. is why. This is why this happened. <laughs> So it was just really like, um, it was great for the client to see that and experience that because then they could be like, okay, it's not that my body isn't a safe place to grow the baby. It is my partner's fault. Yeah. Okay. It's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's all your fault. This yeah. is why our that, baby. That's your grow. DNA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's not on me. <laughs> so what is like, what are the health benefits of consuming a placenta? That's what I was going to ask. Wow. Yeah. Did someone just ask about the health benefits of the placenta? Well, let's tell you right now. Heart murmur. Juicenta. Hemorrhoid. Juicenta. Gout. Juicenta. Bubonic plague. Juicenta. Now, back to your production. Well, it sounds like it's like both spiritual and kind of like, like holistic and then kind of health. Like nutritious. Well, you lose a lot of blood during like birth, like, like during birth, like even when everything goes well, you can lose like 300 cc's of blood or more, you know, a hemorrhage is 500. Um, I've been to birth where somebody might lose 700, 750, 800, a thousand, you know, and that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now you have your body is converting from growing a baby. And now it's going to make milk. It's going to still be pulling nutrients out of your blood supply, but now you've got less blood supply. Mm-hmm. You're expected to recover from this whole experience and you still continue to lose blood for at least six weeks postpartum. Oh. So you're still going to be losing blood on top of what you lost during labor. Yeah. So the first thing is that you get your iron, <laughs> you yeah. get a big dose placenta um and then there's lots of little other nutrients here and there that can be found in the placenta um some folks really want to consume their placenta because they feel that it will help them they're gone cold turkey right (laughs) like 
in a few days, they are gone from your system. You've burnt them all up um, and you are just cold turkey going through this huge transfer. And um, in your mind, your brain, first of all, is getting completely rewired now that you've witnessed your baby. So there's huge change going on there. And on top of that, there's like a hurricane of hormonal changes happening. And so for some people, they really feel like they're consuming their placenta helped ease that transition, that mm-hmm. they weren't really going full turkey. But, you know, I, I don't know how much evidence there is to support that, but I, I do believe people that they're like, oh, I mean, my placenta, like, save my mental health. Yeah, um, and even if it, like, even if it's one of those placebo mm-hmm, effect, like, mm-hmm. it's still helping them. So either way, I feel like yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm like, yeah. you're still getting the nutrients at, at, at the very least. At the very least. Inter- yeah, and I tried to consume mine. I tried to consume my placenta. I, you know, had it encapsulated with my first pregnancy. My nausea, I was extremely nauseous. Mm-hmm. And we can go ahead and blame that on my partner, my then partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on genetics. So I don't know. You know, I don't know if that was it. Like now I'm consuming this placenta that existed in my depressed body. Yeah. <laughs> but after I had my baby, it was like a light switch was flipped. It was like that placenta was gone and I was 100% myself. I was this happy, like wow. glowing mm-hmm. part of mother and then I you know a week later was given my placenta to encapsulate it and I started taking it and I had to quit after like three days because I was wrecked emotionally really Hmm. yeah and I never got my second placenta encapsulated I I have it it's in my freezer (laughs) (laughs) on it or something but I don't I never I didn't consume anything after that I still have the capsules I'm just gonna you know honor that placenta in a different way I'm probably gonna like I don't know. I'm, I'm going to plant trees eventually. Cool. Yeah. yeah that's make that's like potpourri or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could, uh, there's like, aren't there like spells you can do under the moon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. I have had clients who do like moon, moon water. I'm sure there's moon. Pl- I don't know. See, that's out of my, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Some like rituals that you can do. Yeah. I just nod. I'm like, yes, go ahead. Do whatever you yeah, want to do. Yeah, do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> That's right. Um, is there something you wish you knew before you got pregnant the first time? Or like during your pregnancy or before giving birth? Oh, that's toughie. <laughs> I, think, I think what I'm learning now about the nervous system um, and its role and how we interact with our children and our partners and our extended family and our friend circles and all of that is really interesting. And I think, I mean, I wouldn't go back and change anything about either of my pregnancies. I wish I wasn't as nauseous as I was, but it would have been interesting. Like I wonder being so aware of like my own nervous system and you know what it felt like to be in fight or flight or in collapse and all of that. And like, be able to pinpoint that and take care better care of myself Mm -hmm. I just recently like in the last two years finally moved out of constant fight or flight and I had been existing in it for years as far as I know and so I'm like a completely different person now (laughs) because I am how do you do that I went to therapy. Yay. There you go. <laughs> therapy. therapy um, works. Oh gosh, I went to see an EMDR therapist. I'm still seeing her. So 
I have learned so much about the nervous system. I've actually started to incorporate it into my childbirth ed classes because I want to bring awareness to, you know, the power that we have within ourselves to like control our state of mind is really hard but I mean just a few months ago I was out of birth you know they took my childbirth ed class we talked about the nervous system and like polyvagal theory right it's this ladder at the top of the ladder is safe and social that's where we can like laugh and be silly and we feel good you know Mm -hmm. our thoughts are positive relatively positive about our outlook on life the next step down is fight or flight. That's when we get angry. That's when um, we, you know, I don't know. There's a whole list of of things. Uh, but that's when a lot of people have arguments. Like if you have argue, if you have an argument with your partner that's just like going in circles and there's no resolution, chances are you're both in fight or flight, <laughs> yeah. and you're not able to hear each other. Right? Your prefrontal cortex is offline. Your thinking part of your brain is not showing up to the conversation and you're just having this fearful conversation in a circle. Um, So like being able to educate my clients on that and then collapse, collapse is like depression, numbness, those really low feeling. That's when you start to have a lot of like thoughts like I'm not good enough. um, I'll never be good at this. Yeah. I'm those really dark thoughts and like when we combine that with postpartum it can be like the perfect storm for a disaster so I really like to educate my clients ahead of time on all of this and really bring awareness to mood disorders and stuff so that they are really prepared as much as possible so that you know if somebody does turn out to have a moon disorder postpartum hopefully themselves or their partner or their extended family can help catch it and get them the support that they need this part about the nervous system was really interesting to me because actually i was first introduced through tiktok about the relationship between the mind and the body mind body almost like yoga but more like movement oriented that just help like regulate your nervous system. But I got this book that I've been reading called The Body Keeps the Score and it's Brained Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Wow. And right Very now it's brand. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I want to learn more about how we can like use our bodies and like make our bodies feel more comfortable in the space. Yeah. to help our brains work better. Well, I wonder if this book tells us like what you can do to make that happen because I do think that our brain has a lot of power like more than we know and Mm -hmm. it can control that fight or flight or we can use certain mechanisms that bring us back from that fight or flight mode like just because our brain can do that like it's powerful yeah to like ground us but yeah i think that's like part of the 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 somatic exercises is to like like grounding exercises to like bring you back into reality and this is not a emergency situation mm-hmm. so christine was talking about how everyone in the household can mm-hmm. feel postpartum depression so if your grandparents live with you if your mom lives with you Whoever is there experiencing a new baby, the mom, like all that stuff, they also can experience postpartum depression. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And so she talks about it a little more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, think about 
like if you go through some enormous life-changing experience there's no going back yeah even if it birth experience goes really well and it's like this beautiful you gave birth next to a creek and a baby deer and shit (laughs) it's like the perfect dreamy like peaceful experience or you had like the (laughs) ever elusive orgasmic birth like did our bodies never forget they it's like like you're you went through a trauma you know right right it's like then we start asking ourselves like what is a trauma what is a traumatic experience like physically for your body hell yeah that was a traumatic experience you just pushed a 10 centimeter head through like a buttonhole in your pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a buttonhole. You may not have like had to have your perineum stitched closed, or yeah. maybe you have infection. Um, you know, like even when everything goes well, <laughs> there's like 90% of people who give birth have pelvic floor issues afterwards. Like oh, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And at the very least, our body has gone through something very traumatic. Now, emotionally, mentally, that's a whole other ball game. You know, we kind of like show up to birth with our own baggage. Uh, like if you have a previous history of trauma, it's definitely going to affect your birth yeah. um, and how you perceive your birth experience. And so like, oh, oh my goodness, that's a whole, whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. Originally, we were going to only talk about breast milk in this episode yeah we've heard a lot of interesting things about breast milk but once we started going in we were more interested in the whole birthing process as a whole yeah and pregnancy and everything that goes into it so we changed it and expanded it but we decided to go ahead and ask christine about breast milk breast milk yeah how important is it to use breast milk over formula or is it just whatever happens happens what are the benefits do you have any yeah 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 like i guess for and maybe like your personal experience like well when it comes to supporting clients i am 100 in support of whatever they want there's you know all oh my goodness there's so much shame out there already about our bodies Mm -hmm. and what they're capable of or what they look like and all of that I never want to create shame about somebody's body being able to feed their babies yeah uh because a big piece of a successful breastfeeding experience is support Mm -hmm. it's literally somebody standing with you while you're nursing and saying yeah, this is normal. This is exactly what it looks, it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. It's not it very, it does happen sometimes that it's easy and simple and straightforward for people. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you've never had a baby before, your baby's never breastfed before. So it's like the blind leading the blind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we are communal creatures. We are meant to grow up in community. We are meant to have witnessed breastfeeding take place throughout our entire lives. Our sisters, mothers, aunts, and cousins, and all that. We're not supposed to be experiencing breastfeeding for the first time when we breastfeed our own baby, yeah. right? But that's off base, at least here in the United States. And so it's an uphill battle. And then you tack on poor maternal care, but mm-hmm. it's outrageous that we're not taking care of people until they're six weeks postpartum. You hire a home birth midwife, they literally come to your home like six times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're just 
you know, going through the hospital to get your care, you don't see anyone until you're six weeks postpartum. And they really just want to know, like, has your bleeding stopped? Okay, it has. Great. You can have sex. And do you feel like killing yourself? Oh, okay. You, you don't? Okay, great. Awesome. See it? See it? Never. Wow. <laughs> and that's it. Women's are so short. I literally had a client who got, like, a suicidal survey from her OB's office. Whoa. Like, it wasn't even like contact her with a living breathing human being it was just like do you feel like dying do oh you really like how cold yeah you know and yeah so you know there's a lot that's taking place postpartum and you know when you start to think about how many people have traumatic birth experiences and then go home and then don't have support because their partner can't stay home we don't have any parental leave rights here in the united states yeah and paternal rights are so so poor like outrageously poor that it really sets up people for failure when it comes to breastfeeding um so i think it's very the most important thing is to have a fed baby right formula grows a baby yeah obviously breast milk is going to be like nutritionally the best Mm -hmm. but it's just not that straightforward Yeah, I actually wasn't able to drink breast milk as a baby because it made my stomach messed up. Like, yeah, so I had to get the dairy-free formula, (laughs) which was like the most expensive one out there. But it's funny because I'm very lactose intolerant today. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. Like my, my parents were like, oh, you can't have breast milk because it's messing with you but then here you're three years old here have a whole glass of milk and just forget that ever happened (laughs) but yeah it's interesting like babies really can be lactose intolerant um like to cow's milk like so for example if the nursing person is consuming um milk products Mm. there's a chance that your baby could could develop a rash or be very colicky or very gassy like it can totally mess up i've known people who've had to stop consuming dairy while they're nursing because their baby was having a reaction to it wow. um i recently met somebody who whose baby was like allergic to the proteins in their milk like it wasn't wow. lactose intolerant it was like a legitimate their baby was allergic to the their milk that's crazy <laughs> they, like it is possible to have these really unique complications that on top of everything else make breastfeeding like not an option right and ultimately we want to be supporting the mental health of the the nursing person yeah and so I'm like if this is too much (laughs) or if it's eventually becomes too much like maybe in the beginning you're like yes I can pump I can do all these things but in like maybe two months from now you're like oh my god pumping around the clock is killing me I don't think I can do this you know, that's when we need to check in and be like, okay, well, let's come up with plan B. Maybe plan B is supplementing with formula. Mm-hmm. So you're nursing some, pumping some, and feeding with formula some. Mm-hmm. And for other people, like, their lives may genuinely be too stressful for their bodies to even produce milk. I mm-hmm. have met somebody recently, and they were going, like, literally their life was upside down. And it it really affected their milk production. And ultimately, they're like, you know what? formula yeah <laughs> it's gonna keep my and it and it does because yeah. that's what it's so there's definitely pros and cons and um I'm never gonna hate on somebody for choosing formula because 
you know, we're all just trying to do our best as parents and we ultimately can't know what the lived experience of somebody else is. I can't, I can't say whether or not somebody should breastfeed. I, I had a client once who had a history of sexual trauma mm. and that made it impossible for her to breastfeed mm. because it was very triggering for her. Yeah. Um, I had a client once who experienced this letdown so when you have a letdown with your milk, typically you don't feel anything at all, or you feel like a pins and needles sensation as the blood, I mean, sorry, as the milk like rushes through mm-hmm. and, you know, is nursed and all that. But some, for some people, they can experience nausea. Um, other people will have like the deep sense of hopelessness wash over them. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, you know, babies get fed every two hours around the clock for many, many months on end. So if you're feeling extreme nausea every two hours, you're likely not going to want to eat. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So we're, there's so many pieces of this. And then I had a client who who got severely, like, super low mentally and hopeless, like this deep sense of hopelessness every time she nursed. Um, and she's like, I feel like I'm making this up, but this is what I'm experiencing. And I'm like, no, that's so totally real. It's all hormones. That's crazy. Um, you know, and usually it doesn't go on for more than six weeks, but that's a long time when somebody's literally living like hour to hour with a newborn. Yeah, you know? that is like a long weigh, time. Yeah, we got to weigh our options and like kind of consider the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this yes. has been so informative. I know. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's been super fun. I could... <laughs> I could talk for like hours and hours and hours. You're now. a wealth of knowledge. Like, yeah, you really, really are. We we don't know anything. We're we're like pregnancy birthing dummies. So yeah, this has we've been never very had good for children. Us. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking time and giving yeah. us uh, some interesting stories and information. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, no problem. Cool. Okay. All right. It was good talking to you. Hey. Well, there you have it, guys. All, now, all about birth. Now you know everything that you need to know about the birthing process. Alternative uh, options, options, birthing options. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Christine. She is a doula and childbirth educator. She teaches virtual pregnancy classes online, so anyone can go to her. She's a safe space for the LGBTQ community. Which we love. Love that. And uh, her Instagram is Christine underscore birth worker. And if you go to her Instagram, she has a link in her bio for those classes. So definitely check her out if that is something you're going to need soon. Also follow us. Also follow us. I can't imagine why you wouldn't be, but. At this point. I know. Come on, guys. Thank you so much, Pod, at Instagram and uh, on Instagram. On Instagram. And you can also email us. Thank you so much, Pod, at gmail.com. You can tweet us, although. We don't know um, what's going on with this we, Twitter situation. Are we on thread? Are we on spill? We like, where know. are we going? Are we, we don't staying know where on we're Twitter? Going, but if you're staying on Twitter, you can find us at TYSM Podcast. And that's all folks um tune in next week for the follow-up uh we got some more interviews for you on the same topic it's gonna be very exciting very fun yeah uh thank you so much love you bye peace out